1: America is beautiful, and so is its stock market. It's a day for the history books as it is now official. This is the greatest bull market run ever. With no drop of 20% or more since the lows in March of 2009, the s and p 500 is up a whopping 300%. That means more money for pensions, your retirement, your pocket, and of course, your online brokerage account. But as we rejoice in the riches of capitalism, two very important questions remain. Just how long can this bull run last and what do you buy at these historic highs? Pete Najarian, what do you say?
2: Well, I think that there are three points that I'd like to bring up right out of the gate, and that is that I think we're about two outs in the seventh inning right now, so I think we're actually getting very close. I think Mike Wilson sat here many times with Morgan Stanley talking about (laughs) we are going to see some sort of a pullback, and when we do, you're going to want to be able to buy that pullback because it's not going to last very long. So I tend to agree with him because I'm not negative on the market. I tend to be more bullish than bearish, and I love what we've seen in earnings season, but I still look at the news every single day, and obviously at some point in time, I think we could pull back. I think there are plenty of areas of the, in the market right now the multiples are still extremely low I think there's opportunities everywhere and I think if you went to some of these 13 F's this past quarter you could see many of those different names they were popping up there Goldman Sachs City. Bank of America, I'm talking about guys like David Tepper. I'm talking about other guys that are huge investors that are still putting their money into those kind of areas. Airlines are still very inexpensive. We continue to see buyers there. Warren Buffett's been holding on, sold a couple of his positions, but actually is holding on to some of the other ones as well. So I think the combination of that, and I think you look in the pharmaceutical area right now as well, I think there are names there. That's where I've been adding most to. I've added DaVita recently. i got Gilead. I've got Celgene, along with Merck and Pfizer and some of those names. The, the the problem uh, the problem
3: with that, in addition to a football player giving you a baseball metaphor, by the way, um, <laughs> fantastic work, Pete. No, I, I think a lot of the stuff that's been somewhat cheap has been cheap and stayed cheap. And and I think the dilemma investors have here is the stuff that's really ridden, or, or that which you've ridden in the horse, whether it's. Big cap tech, whether it's some of actually the consumer names, by the way, consumers outperformed triple Qs by about a 1,000 basis points in the last 12 calendar months. So you've really outperformed there, but but the cheap stuff like banks um, and you know, stuff that, frankly, I, I actually think should outperform too, Pete. And, and ultimately, the question for investors is, what's the catalyst? Because banks, frankly, have underperformed the S&P, I know Dan's got a view on this, yeah. by 7 or 8% since the markets really hit that turbulent moment, and they haven't well, really shaken
0: off the rust. Let, let's talk cheap for a second here, because cheap is actually some of the most economically sensitive and cyclical uh, groups, and, and you're talking about banks. Like you said, the XLF has not made a new high. Your Goldman Sachs is down 13% from its 52-week highs. Make Look at point. GM. It's down 20% from its 52 52- two-week highs. That's horrible. The home builders; these are all cheap, right? Like, they act atrociously, you know? I mean, so you're looking, and then then let's get to emerging markets, because to me, I don't think we're going to have a situation. We spent a whole show yesterday talking about U.S. political stuff. I think we're all in agreement that that's not where the big threats are to the market right here. It's about global growth. Look at China, the Shanghai composite, down 25%. A couple weeks ago, Larry Kudlow, the, the president's national economic advisor, gave this presentation, and he said China is a disaster. He talked about slow in growth, you talked about their uh, you know, just their their financial. So market. the sample so set you're me, using. Those are all the things that are actually posed massive risk. So a
2: real question for you from me is yeah. the sample set you're using, and Tim and I have talked about this time and time again as well, but the sample set you're using is year to date, you're saying Goldman Sachs is terrible. You're right. Yeah. Bank of America, some of these names. But what is your time frame? I mean, in other words, are we just talking about My an absolute two and dude, and one out. I mean, <laughs> like, so you tell me. I, I don't so, know. So, so you don't think that the, the next leg we're, we're going to see potentially the financials and some of these other This may get called
0: for weather, though. That's the thing, you know, this game. Are you gonna back yeah. to the analogy? Oh, the, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> oh,
2: sorry. <laughs> Bottom of the seventh. <laughs> what, is the ranked ranked oh, the, what is, is, is the, the, the
3: weather? What is the weather? What is the and you got a rain <laughs> delay. They call it. This is more confusing than one of the games we play on this
1: show. All right. <laughs> okay. Karen, bring so, us back. so value. Yes. Yeah, so value. Right. Value is underperformed. When are we going to see it kick in? I don't know. I don't know
4: exactly. I mean, one of the names you brought to me, which has been the most frustrating, is GM. Right. It just, you know, they, the the valuation that is trading it. I, I really don't get it at all. You can point to fears of China or whatever. To me, that's super cheap. I'm hanging on to it. I don't think of the market, though, as just a monolith of one thing. It's all on or off. To me, it's about what do you own? What do you think of those businesses? How do you think they'll do in the long term? I'm never going to be able to pick the bottom, never going to be able to pick the top. So I don't really want to trade around my portfolio. What I will trade around is protection, right? I always talk about wanting to own puts. Right now, the volatility index is a little bit of uh, nowhere, mid sort of... I don't know. That's no, 12, 12, 12 is cheap. Right. I, I mean, think cheap, too. 12 yeah, yeah. It was as low as 10 two mm-hmm. weeks ago yes. um, and as high as 15 10 days ago or 16 so. 16 last 16? Wednesday. 16? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I own some protection. I know I'm never going to pick the bottom or the top, so I'm not going to trade around this tape whether are in the longest bull market. I just look at what I own. Do I like what I own? I do. I well, like the banks. I don't care that they've underperformed since the peak the of January. What, what did we just but, talk about, so though? We talked
0: to... about the market at all-time highs, at the longest bull market in history. So what I'm trying to bring up is these economically sensitive groups that act really poorly. They should be confirming these highs. They should be confirming all this enthusiasm. And I just want to make one other point. We talked about it a lot over the last couple of weeks, the semiconductor index acts really bad. You know what's in every pretty much consumer product that we buy these days, even clothes? Our, our yeah, but, but then, well, well, could, what I'm saying is that these are really like, you know, I think these are late cycle so, signs. So therefore,
4: you. what do you want to do? Well,
0: I, I think you want to be uh, somewhat cautious when people are bringing out the pom-poms for, and for this what next leg. Of the I don't want to hear any Cash. pom-poms out here mean?
3: tonight. What, what I actually hear people are talking <laughs> about, we're finding sectors that have either underperformed or actually they're very justifiable from a valuation perspective. Hi. And banks are, airlines are, and airlines are some of the great trading stocks in the entire market. You see, United's moved 30% in the last... Thirty trading days when everybody left it for dead. Um, I actually think that the autos look very interesting here because once again, on an earnings valuation, even though GM had not great numbers the last couple quarters, the valuation borders on absurdly cheap. And at some point, stocks are very cheap. I think we've also seen these moments uh, where you've had major rotation, where you've had the tech has carried you, and then you've actually seen this this, this rotation. Um, but biotech to me uh, and banks are the places where I think you've got you've had. You, you've basically had earnings affirm the story, uh, and you have companies that are very cheap with some of
2: the best balance sheets
3: they've ever had. And again,
2: banks. I and agree biotech. with you, but I also think I don't think you just have to say biotech. I think there are names within the pharmaceutical space that actually have plenty of upside as well. We've seen some of that. I mean, look at the moves lately out of Merck. Look at the moves out of Pfizer. Some of these moves to the upside have been very, very strong. It's because the fundamental story is there, and they trade very inexpensively. So if you've got growth, so and that's
1: you've got the value. But Absolutely. I mean, do you
0: think that fundamentals should be good at the? 90- years into this recovery when real interest rates are actually yeah, but, negative for all...
1: But don't we oftentimes talk about negative? the fundamentals
2: being these guys are stretched, know, this but, thing has got you, a PE that's see, ridiculous or something? We just started
0: to see top-line growth really kind of to a point that's confirmed this economic recovery. And what I'm saying is, is that we got this tax cut in December. Everybody was telling us, economists, that you're not going to see really the benefits of this from a consumer standpoint for six to nine months. I think we're starting to see that. We've seen that in a lot of retail earnings. Yeah. But that doesn't mean... Consumers are on that, fire. But that... For a long time okay, that's what I'm saying but that doesn't mean that going forward we just saw a consumer confidence miss um, in this last print a couple weeks ago we saw our average hourly earnings adjusted for inflation actually negative in July it's the lowest print in like six years so what, what I'm saying is a lot of what we're s- seeing in the markets might be backward looking from an economic standpoint
3: well I'll tell you what it, to, to the point that you bring up average hourly earnings I, I think that's the biggest risk and it's that they're going higher um, fed minutes were out today and if you want to know where the risks are it's it's with liquidity being removed from markets. It's with the Fed, it's with the European central banks, and it's with global macro forces that I think are really outside of, of the impact of this economy. And I think the U.S. economy has been very resilient. It it's been resilient with negative to be real
0: interest rates, guys. So at past cycles, at this point, we've had Fed funds at 5 or 6%. So we're talking about an almost an inverted yield curve, and we're talking about negative real interest rates. So to me, it's totally different this time. And all those other arguments oh. about other, uh, other Cycles, you can throw them right out
1: the window. All right, Let's take a pause here in the discussion. Our next guest says, thank President Trump and his corporate tax cuts for this massive bull run. Let's bring in Nobel laureate, Yale Professor Robert Schiller. Welcome back to the show, Professor.
5: My pleasure.
1: So what happens uh after the initial sort of absorption and, and uh processing of, of the tax cuts through the economy? Does it get tougher? Is that the best of it?
5: Well, tax cuts are one of many factors that affects markets. And uh, so we're just starting to see the effects of the tax cuts. But I think it's affected the psychology of the markets. People uh, are not mostly calculating what the corporate profits tax will be. They're thinking Donald Trump is president. It's a new era. He's an inspirational speaker. He's the first U.S. president who has a history as a motivational speaker. So. I think this market rally is a complex interaction of psychology and uh, free market economics.
1: So, how would you assess this bull run, Professor? I mean, all day long on CNBC, we've been saying, you know, what what brings this to to an end, if you will, and how how much longer has it has it to go? What's your view?
5: Yeah. So now I think that uh, that we've set a record on length of bull markets. That has to be, for most investors, a worrisome sign, uh, because we've had many. We've had thirteen bull markets, I think, since uh, around nineteen thirty, and this is the longest one. Well, by a day, (laughs) apparently. Uh, So the the question in my mind is, how uh, much are people paying attention to this? All over the news. The last time we had a bull market record set was in in the 1990s, and it didn't correct the market for years. after. People started talking about the, the longest bull run in around 1996, and it went for four more years going up. So my suspicion is that this news is not so dramatic, and it's not going to change the probability of a correction by a whole lot. But I could be wrong about that.
1: But you think of—I mean, it sounds like you think the market will still go high. That there could be many more years of gains for this market before this bull run ends.
5: Yeah. So it was around 1996 that people started to worry about the longest bull market being a negative indicator. But it—it uh, it, it didn't. The the cape ratio, which I like to use, cyclically adjusted price earnings ratio, rose to a much higher level than it is now by, uh, by 2000. Uh, it was almost 50 percent higher than it is now. So, so it's... I, I just don't think that these kinds of ratios are determinative in most people's thinking. Uh, you know, they, they make news when they happen. But, the, uh, but in, in the history of the stock market, they haven't predicted turning points.
1: In terms of the market um, technicals, Professor, I mean, it's interesting because we had an article in the Wall Street Journal about buybacks. They're going to reach a record by the end of this year in terms of the, the, num- the amount of money being plowed into corporate buybacks. The number of publicly traded stocks has actually gone down dramatically. We're showing the numbers right. uh, since 1998. Um, so does that create a different dynamic where there's just the same or more amount of money right. chasing fewer shares?
5: Yeah, If we compare this with the long history of stock market, uh, we are still in a uh, moderate inflation uh, period. So it's both inflation and stock buybacks that push uh, uh, stock prices up, even if there's no real gain in the strength of the companies. They're, they're numerical uh, things. So that's part of what makes this uh, latest uh, news about the longest bull market less impressive.
1: All right, Professor, thank you so much for joining us, Mm -hmm. giving us your expertise. We appreciate it. Professor Robert Schiller of Yale. All right. So what do you think?
3: Well, first of all, the longest bull market also comes after the worst bear market and the most extreme market drawdown that anyone's seen outside of the Depression. So let's be clear. It's not surprising that you have extremes on both sides. Let's also be clear uh, is that monetary policy was massaging this whole thing and that the minute we got some fiscal policy follow through, you've actually seen that markets and the economy and corporate earnings have actually followed through. I think that's not insignificant, and I think that's part of what's going on here. So 20 percent earnings growth is extraordinary. I mean, that just is what it is. That changes multiples. But, but ultimately, it gets back to what do you want to buy here? What I think looks pretty interesting, again, going into tomorrow, you've got Alibaba with earnings out. The Chinese tech story has been another place where I think they've been more a victim of global sentiment and trading flows. It was a crowded trade. If you, if you like U.S. tech, you should like global tech. They're going to grow 56 percent on their top line.
1: You know, Pete, on one of the full screens, that the graphics that we showed earlier, you said the bottom of the seventh, two outs. Yeah. Sounds like the game's almost over.
2: Well, I, when you say over, I, I just mean that I think we are set, setting ourselves up for some sort of a pullback. And, and that's where I bring in the Mike Wilson idea that yeah. I think we do get a pullback, we get some readjustment, and then all of a sudden I think we're off to races once again as well. I'll give you one other example of growth versus value, though. How about Procter & Gamble trading at an 18 PE with $31 billion in debt, and meanwhile you look over at something like Facebook that has zero debt, they've got 40 <clears throat> plus billion of cash, and they traded at 20 PE. I mean... People want to say which one's growth and which one's value. I'll tell you what, Facebook's value and growth. So I think there are names out there that you can find in a market that makes it very, very difficult sometimes to find the names.
1: All right. Coming up, oil getting a boost as the Saudis say, hey, you know what? We'll keep that oil money after all. Maybe not go ahead with the Aramco IPO. Is this a sign of that the oil market is going higher? Plus, it's a social cleanup. Facebook and Twitter suspending hundreds of accounts. But is it enough to win back the trust of investors? Tech legend Roger McNamee will be here. And later, it's trader versus trader. Dan Nathan and Pete Najarian go head-to-head wow. head on one Boom. scoring retail. You won't want to miss it. There could be blood. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Saudi Arabia reportedly calling off its Aramco IPO, derailing what would be the largest public listing ever at least for now. Leslie Pickers in the newsroom with the details. Hey, Leslie.
6: Hey, Melissa. The Crown Prince is pressing pause on taking Saudi Aramco public. Sources tell CNBC's David Faber that the company is still committed to going public eventually, but the timing is less urgent because oil prices have remained steadily above $70 a barrel. Right now, though, Aramco is largely focused on acquiring a stake in Saudi Basic Industries, or SABIC from the country's Sovereign Wealth Fund. That has caused Aramco's IPO advisors to be sidelined for much of the year while the petrochemical deal moves forward. For some context, though, Crown Prince Mohammed first announced in early 2016 that he was considering taking Aramco public. The deal would have been the largest ever. The Saudis believed it could attract a $2 trillion valuation, although some analysts doubted the figure would be that high. But still, the Saudi Aramco IPO has been the subject of intense scrutiny and speculation ever since then. Stock exchanges across the globe, including those in New York, were vying for the listing and questions swirled about timing and execution execution Of a deal that big, Melissa.
1: Leslie, I'm going to tie this in, and maybe I'm not sure if this actually warrants a tie mm-hmm. to the story, but for Tesla, I mean, when we were taking a look at PIF, the, the Saudi sovereign mm-hmm. wealth fund, and whether or not they would be able to, to participate in any sort of deal, Tesla going private, we were saying, oh, you know, a lot of their money is tied up. It's spoken for in terms of other investments, mm-hmm. but. Um, Selling the stake in Sabic would be key, correct? That's still on track.
6: Well, that would be key for the Sovereign Wealth Fund. But in terms of Aramco, that adds a lot of debt to that company. Uh, And so it decreases, I guess, their flexibility to do other things. Um, But you're right. I mean, there's obviously a connection there. And when you make deals of this size, it does limit your options uh, for other deals. All right. All right, Leslie,
1: thank you. Leslie Picker uh, in the newsroom. All right, so what does this mean for oil? You know, there had been a line of thinking that Aramco, an IPO, they wanted to keep the price of oil. They were going to subscribe. Uh, yeah, and so I was sort of surprised that oil remained higher unless that was well, totally. I don't, I don't
4: understand why pull it with oil higher. They were only going <laughs> to sell a portion of it anyway, right? Mm-hmm. So in an attempt to diversify some risk for them. So I don't understand. They're sort of doubling down now on oil by not selling a stake? What else is really going? It doesn't quite make sense to me. It would seem like a decent time to do it. It, Look, it's a great
3: time if if cyclically what you're doing was trying to diversify your risk. I I think what they found and what this happens with a lot of people is I'm not sure they want to be a public company. I'm not sure they want to go through the listing process and have to deal with all the disclosures. Frankly, I I don't think they do at all. I also think that this news was in the market three months ago, so I don't think this was a huge surprise. What's driving the price of oil right now and, by the way, very positive technical trading in terms of the tape on oil. You got above the 50 for the first time in a long time after bouncing off the 200. That was important. But it's the dollar. I mean, the, the dollar's Two and a half percent weaker uh, over the last, you know, couple weeks. That's very important for commodities. Uh, I think the Iran rhetoric continues to heat up, and again, there's this war of words going on between the president and, and their oil minister, and the U.S. selling strategic reserves. Iran saying oil prices are going higher, and they probably will be.
1: Is this a, inherently a bullish sign for oil stocks? For Big oil companies say, "You know, we're going to hold on to our stake. We're not going to sell." I would think so.
2: I would think so. I mean, I I actually am exposed, so I guess I'm not just thinking. So I'm investing, like as if I think that's going to happen. And I I hope you're right about this direction you're talking about. We actually, I added to uh, a position today, Schlumberger, as just one of the names that I've added to with Chevron and Exxon and a couple other names. Worst looking
0: stock uh, chart in the whole market.
2: So <laughs> <start. Yes. laughs> really interesting. You know, a lot of he charts at the bottom. We can I just, the, up can up a just five make a quick yes. There's a lot of charts at the bottom of the ocean. Oh, that's disgusting. just an old is, line just a piece of, so you piece know. of junk. Yeah. So, so a one of thing that's interesting, that he wow.
0: mentioned pull up a five they year chart. We haven't even gone toe to toe yet. I know. this is not even a debate. He's just getting it ready. Heated up. Wait, hold on. The dollar's really interesting. So, I Guys, when Zurb, <laughs> QE, all that stuff started to end, right, 2014-15, yeah. the dollar started to rally, and what did oil do? It got cut in half. I mean, it really got cut in half. So you're talking about a couple percent move pullback in the dollar right now. If that thing were to get back above 100, I have to think that, oh, that, I that oil I, could be in
2: for a hurt. So are you and, talking oil what? or slumber no, no, I'm you're just commenting dollar. on your slum. <laughs> yeah, whatever.
0: Um, but what's interesting about the comment that they don't see oil high enough, that's why they're pulling the deal, it seems that's, like at that's, 68 bucks, that's not what's going, get it going. That
4: can't be what's going That's
0: on. not what they said. On. I know, but that's, that's not we know that's not how know. difficult it By the public
4: was true when they were contemplating it and when you really need to get a deal done because the markets have moved a lot, <laughs> right. it's really, really hard to just get that going from zero. The, the, I don't understand it at all. The, Some, the good news is
3: that Saudi Ramco is not word. the reason why oil prices are higher uh, and therefore everybody thought it was just being massaged higher. All supply right. demand in line.
1: All right, coming up. It's been a remarkable run for NVIDIA. The stock is one of the best performing stocks since the March 2009 lows, but short seller and Drew Left says the run is over, and this time he means it. So why does the stock keep going up? I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, First in Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Video
2: the star. Actually, video games killed the TV star. But it's creating one hot trade in the process. We'll tell you how to cash in. Plus, everybody was confident. Pete and Dan are beefing about one surging stock, and they're about to duke it out. And you'll pick the winner when Best Money returns.
1: People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation.
7: Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I
1: help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org/slash money tools. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less
6: about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life at Edward Jones.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Looks like social media companies are cleaning house. Facebook and Twitter are moving hundreds of accounts across their platforms. Julie Morrison's in Los Angeles with more on this story. Julia.
7: Melissa, Facebook has identified campaigns tied to state-owned media in Iran and to Russian military intelligence services, those campaigns looking to mislead people in countries around the world. I'm on a call with reporters last night, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg saying that the company has removed 652 accounts, pages, and groups linked to Iranian interference, with nearly 1 million accounts following at least one of those pages. And the company is working with the U.S. Treasury and State Departments on this issue. Now, Facebook says it can't share details on how many Russian-linked pages, groups, and accounts that it has removed because that investigation is still ongoing and that it's working to strengthen its security operations. Zuckerberg noted that, of course, ahead of the midterms and elections, in Mexico and India. They're ramping up the number of people they have focused on security. Now, it's not just Facebook. Last night, Twitter safety tweeted, quote, working with our industry peers today, we have suspended 284 accounts from Twitter for engaging in coordinated manipulation based on our existing analysis. Appeals, appears many of these accounts originated from Iran. And Google's YouTube also tells us it have removed one account that had ties to Iran. Now, Zuckerberg says they're working with other companies as well as government agencies around the world to protect users from manipulation and keep users' data safe. He also said there are other investigations underway, so this certainly isn't the last of it. And Zuckerberg says they're committed to transparency, so they'll be telling us about what they discover. Back over to you, Melissa.
1: All right, Julia, thank you, Julia Borson in Los Angeles. So has Facebook done enough? Let's bring in Roger McNamee of Elevation Partners, one of the early Facebook investors. Roger, it's always great to speak with you. Um, You know, I think it's uh, commendable that Facebook and Twitter endeavor to do this. The problem as an investor that I would have, and I'm not an investor, let's make that clear, is that we don't know how much more there is. They can say they're removing this many accounts, this many pages, et cetera. We're not sure where that is. And and they probably don't know either. But we don't really have a grip on on whether or not they have a grip on the problem.
8: Yeah. So, Melissa, I completely agree with you. The good news here is that for the first time, the companies are getting ahead of problems in the political arena and bring them to light before the election that those people were trying to affect. So that's that's very, very positive. But I'm afraid, and I don't know this, but I think this is likely, that the number of bad pages and accounts that are out there are a little bit like cockroaches, that when you kill one of them, you know you haven't solved the problem. That somewhere hiding out, there are going to be hundreds more. And I'm sure that that's true here. And what I like about this, and I think as a shareholder, what people should be focused on is that these companies for years depended on their users to report problems. So they had no internal infrastructure for spotting things ahead of time. And they're just beginning to do that for the first time. And I think this is a positive sign because in this one occasion, it absolutely worked. Now, to be clear, FireEye, which is in a security firm, Uh, contributed to this as well. And so they, you know, they've still got the training wheels on, but we are trusting as a country, we're trusting our midterm elections to Facebook, YouTube, Google, and and to uh, Twitter. And that, I think, is not something anybody should feel comfortable about yet, not because those companies don't mean well, but simply because this is a really hard problem and they're just beginning to get their arms around
1: it. So, Roger, you mentioned um, that you're a Facebook investor. I know that, or I understand that you you have sold shares. Um, At this point, going into the midterm election, since that is a concern of yours, would you be looking or more inclined to sell more shares ahead of the midterms since you think this is a cockroach problem? It's a
8: great great question. I actually have turned over my position uh, to... The money manager who uh, works with my assets, so I don't get involved in the decisions any longer. Because I've been in, you know, in an act, uh, essentially an activist trying to campaign to have better control of social media. So I, I don't have any idea what's going to happen. I have no personal interaction with it. And to be clear, I don't think we're going to know what's happened until November sixth, right when the election actually happens. And you know, my fingers are crossed. I really am and cheering for Facebook and Google and, and uh, Twitter to, to be successful in this. But I'm not hyper-confident because I think the problem is really, really complex.
3: Hey, hey Roger, it's Tim. It's, it's extremely complex, and it seems to me that Twitter is now telling you that they actually are fixing their product and it's never been whole. Uh, and as a shareholder, that would bother me, uh, especially because I don't <laughs> get the sense that management really knows how to fix it. And when your core product is data, um, this seems like a major problem.
8: Uh, in fact, that is precisely the issue that, the you know, we're not dealing with a problem with social media. We're dealing with a problem with advertising business models that are dependent on attention. And when you do depend on attention in order to get your economics, you have to create networks the way Facebook, Google and and Twitter have done. And for all intents and purposes, they're unpatrolled and undefended. The thing we also have to pay attention to is that foreign Interference is not the only problem in this election. I fear it's the only one we're looking for, but the Cambridge Analytica data set is still out there and You know the Trump administration still has it presumably other Republicans have access to it So the ability to do bad things with bad data on Facebook in particular is still there and you know I don't know that anybody's even trying to prevent that and so uh, I, I worry a lot. I think these, these companies have insinuated themselves into the public square, and they didn't prepare for the responsibilities that come with that. So, even if they wanted to be really good citizens on this, and until recently they didn't show any interest in that, but even if they wanted to be good citizens, this would be a really hard problem to solve. And our democracy depends on them getting this right.
1: All right, Roger, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us. Great My to get your pleasure. Thoughts. Roger, McEwen. everybody go out and vote. <laughs> of Elevation Partners. Um, Karen, how much of a concern is this as a Facebook shareholder? Uh, it's, it's
4: definitely a concern. I mean, I do think they're doing the right thing trying to weed out what they call bad actors. Uh, but I, I think that's been weighing on the stock, right, when he was, when he was on, on the Hill. And, you know, certainly he was under pressure there. I think that I think of Facebook, Google, having similar problems. It seems to weigh most heavily on Facebook. Uh, just because they happen to be the poster child. But I'm still long. I still think it's a really good business, still long, Alphabet.
0: It's funny, you know, you talk about weeding out bad actors. You know, like you said, I think you said it. You know, Twitter's trying to be out there. Jack Dorsey's trying to be out there. He's on this press tour. But, you know, there was something really interesting in early July when they announced that they suspended 70 million user accounts as they try to figure out what's real and what's not. And, you know, all you have to do is look at the real Donald Trump's Twitter handle, and he hasn't lost one. I mean, like, so so the, the, the net hasn't been an increase because there's been reports that maybe 25% are his, are fake. So I'm not, I have no confidence that they're doing anything. I have a, a confidence. Well, neither does
3: the that, market. Facebook's totally underperformed since that well, I'm announcement. talking about Twitter. It, so I'm talking okay, about Twitter but, here
0: in particular. And, and so I don't know how the. Well, it's, it's yeah. Yeah, Keep well, I, I, I guess my point is there's some things in clear sight that are pretty evident, and I don't have a great sense that they're doing what they need to do to clean up their platform.
1: Coming up, it is hard out there for an NVIDIA short. Just ask Andrew Left. The chip stocks were in more than 60% in the last year. And he's been betting against the stock for months. But now he's even more convinced it's going to be down. Why? He will be here. Plus, they're already going at it. Pete and Jerry and Dan Nathan are going at it like the Bruce Lee kung fu flick. Fighting over one surging retailer. (laughs) And if you thought it got heated earlier, just wait until (laughs) after this break. Much more pass, go ahead.
6: Nice, Dan. (laughs) Welcome back to Fast Money. I'm Leslie Picker. We have an earnings alert on L Brands, the parent company of Victoria's Secret and uh, Bath & Body Works, reporting EPS that beat estimates by about 2 cents per share. Comps and revenue have already been reported, but the stock is down, as you can see. there more than 5% in after-hours trading thanks to uh, cutting its full-year guidance, as well as very weak Q3 guidance, also announcing the departure of the CEO of Victoria's Secret, Pink. Melissa, back over to you.
1: All right, Leslie. Thank you, Leslie Picker. Um, Karen, what do you make? This is a retailer that's had a lot of problems in terms of executing and figuring out what the consumer actually wants time. to buy right. and how at a high it, price price points.
4: Yes, I've been sort of intrigued by it. I don't own it. I think that it's bad to miss, to to beat, and then lower your guidance. Right? Mm-hmm. Something because that's telling you the back half of the year isn't really good. I'm intrigued, but I'm not going to buy it. Certainly not tomorrow. I want to see how it shakes out.
1: Well, it was a very different story for Target. CEO Brian Cornell talking about the long-term growth of the retailer earlier today on CNBC.
9: I think you're seeing winners and losers right now in retail. Mm -hmm. We took a path that said, we're gonna invest in the long-term. And several years ago, we decided we're going to invest in our stores, invest in our brands, invest in our team, and invest in new fulfillment capabilities. And those are starting to mature. They're now at scale. And you're seeing the reaction from the consumer and our guest. And those showed up in our recent earnings report.
1: The stock surging to a fresh all-time high. And longtime Fast Money fans know our traders, Pete and Dan, have been bullish on the bullseye for quite some time.
2: I like Target. I think it's too cheap. You can see where it's kind of been holding down in here. It almost hit those levels before when it pulled back. We didn't have to hit those levels, but you're starting to see a little bit of a perk right now. I like what we're seeing. I think this stock's going to get up towards 70 once again.
0: The CEO said they're accelerating their $7 billion three-year investment plan. And if this company starts to see benefits from that, I think you see a stock moving back above 80 and back towards those prior highs over the next six months or so.
1: Great call, guys. Target in rally mode since Pete pitched it way back in November, continued to rise after Dan's call in March. So what do they think of the stock now? It is time to introduce our newest segment, trader versus trader. Okay, here's how it's going to work. Pete and Dan are going over at the plasma. They will each have 30 seconds on the clock to state their case. The traders on the desk will then vote. So Pete, you are up first.
2: Well, first of all, as usual, Dan's a little bit late on this trade, and actually he's going to jump out of this (laughs) thing a little bit early. I mean, that's part of the problem. This is a company it's a long-term fix, right? And Dan talked about three years at least that they were going to go through this. $7 billion they're willing to spend to go with all four points of the focus of Brian Cornell. I think they're executing absolutely perfectly, and they continue to over the next couple of quarters. If the economy stays strong, this is a company that continues to go higher. I think it's a $100 stock. Bank of America today agrees. I think this breaks through 90. You got 10% move from there. Call it 99, maybe $100 a share. There you go.
1: Six seconds on the clock, but Dan, it's your turn. Uh,
0: Yeah, so I agree with everything you just said. And there's a company that is executing. They laid out this plan. The the stock was massively underperforming for a good part of 2017, and like Pete said, it was cheap. So I kind of picked up the baton at 71. Yeah, really nice, right? But but here's the thing: we had this breakout here. The news is out. I think sentiment is overly optimistic about retailers. We've had a lot of great stories here. We've had the tailwinds of consumer spending, but at this point, I think when you see results that are corresponding with some of the things we're doing, you can. Kind of take a pause. I think we have a chart right here. I think this is kind of really important when I think about this. We got to that prior high. It did break out. My line kind of stinks here, but the thing is, it actually gave back a good bit of today's gap here. I think this stock's going to consolidate. I think there's kind of better opportunities here. You're talking about a 10% rally from here. Thirty
1: seconds I, goes by real fast.
2: I'm not telling us. Here's where we're going to cut if this down. 71. No, you have 20% gain. Yeah. You take some yeah, profits. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, maybe maybe we you take some
1: profits. Separate you guys. Hey,
2: let let me just say this. Here's the thing that you don't understand. You know what the PE is right so you now? You didn't know that I'm actually bigger than him. Oh, yeah. You didn't know that, did you? You know what the PE is right now? PE is 15. You know what Walmart is? What? Everybody fell in love. The darling Walmart.
1: Stop Walmart changed Walmart <laughs> to <Walmart> <laughs> into This is Thank ridiculous. Thank of Buzzer. I know. know. Somebody is going to get hurt here. Time to vote on the It's Time to vote on the Zip it. Tim. i tell you what. Uh, I'm a buyer. Uh,
3: I think ultimately the valuation here is still very defendable. It's a company that, yes, the consumer's at their back. They've made major investments in their digital business, and that's now a meaningful part of the business. I think the margins may suffer a little bit, but I'd stay there.
4: Karen? I agree. I'm with Pete. Wow. I think you stay with it. You're starting to get the momentum going. I think Could it trade lower? Of course, but stay with it for the longer term.
1: All right. Well, the desk has spoken. Two buys here. Stick with Pete. But whose side are you out there on? Pete's or Dan's? Head to Twitter right now oh, and both oh. we will reveal the results later on in the show. Uh. Much more Fast Money still ahead. <laughs> Welcome back to Fast Money. Chip Stock soaring in the last year with one of the sector's hottest names driving that rally, NVIDIA. Bob Pisani is at the NYSE to break down the chipmaker's remarkable run. Hi, Bob.
9: Hello, Melissa. We've been talking about amazing stock runs since the market bottom in March 2009, but NVIDIA really wasn't one of them. That is, it wasn't an amazing mover until the middle of 2013. That's when the stock really began to move, and it really didn't take off until the middle of 2015. In the last four years, it's gone from about $21 to over $230. That's a move of more than 1,100 percent, and it's still up 35 percent this year. That's remarkable. Handily outperforming other chip stocks like Micron or Qualcomm or Even Intel, and also outperforming the benchmark semiconductor ETF, that's up only 7%. Now, the reason all this is happening is sales really started taking off about then, about 2015. For example, sales guidance doubled from late 2015 to late 2017, from 1.2 billion to 2.4 billion. So, what happened then? Well, NVIDIA's graphic cards, of course, are famously used for gaming. And it's still about 60 percent of their revenues. But they also found big adoption in data centers run by companies like Amazon or Microsoft or Google, where they're used to run machine learning and other artificial intelligence apps. And video also had very high hopes for use of their chips in cryptocurrency mining operations, though they recently said that demand for that had cooled as crypto prices have come down. Now, down the road, there are a lot of hopes that self-driving cars, which require a lot of computational power, will also be a new source of sales. Back to you, Melissa.
1: All right, Bob, thanks for that rundown on NVIDIA. Bob is on Ethan NYSE. But not everybody's so hot on NVIDIA, including none other than an infamous short seller, Andrew Left of Citron Research, who has correctly called the decline in valiant pharmaceuticals and Malincrot. But it hasn't been the same when it comes to his position in NVIDIA. In fact, Left may be feeling a bit like Captain Ahab and Moby Dick on the hunt for that elusive whale that is NVIDIA stock. Last year, he famously uh, called NVIDIA a casino stock. That was back in June. He then shorted NVIDIA right before its earnings report that year, but the stock soared 36%, at which point Left relentlessly went short again. That's when Left claimed NVIDIA would fall to 200. Since then, he has shorted the stock twice, including... Just yesterday, but NVIDIA's rally has forged on. Still, Left isn't giving up. He joined us from Los Angeles to tell us why he's going to get it right on NVIDIA this time around. All right, so we had NVIDIA's earnings report just last week. Andrew, what'd you see in that report that makes you think this time it's going to work?
10: Well, a few things. First of all, some of the, uh, as you put my chart up with <laughs> NVIDIA, some of those were trading calls, not always fundamentals. I thought sometimes that the stock got ahead of itself, and uh, many times it did. And also, who could have ever predicted the uh, uh, crypto rise or, or some of the other situations? But not all those calls were just—I have not been short the whole time straight up. That being said, I got short before earnings. The stock went down. The stock has recouped its losses. And the longs are jumping out of their cars doing the kiki dance. They're, everyone's so happy it's going to 300 I just don't see it. Uh, I think Jensen's been a wonderful CEO, but he's moving the target completely right now. Uh, and how about this? I watch cnbc religiously and i've not heard one person say the word ray tracing up until yesterday or two days ago real-time ray tracing and now that's the reason to own the stock uh it's a gaming stock we saw auto go bust we saw crypto go bust when i say auto go bust we saw tesla a marquee client move away saying they're developing their own chip that's more powerful uh we're seeing data centers going to run into the large large the law of large numbers and you see a considered effort by the Chinese government to bring the artificial intelligence from their hyperscalers domestically into China. These are all headwinds that are facing the company. Meanwhile, we saw directly how their stock is done. Wonderful from 30 to 260. But look at their earnings. So I think the earnings uh, stocks up sevenfold and earnings are up threefold. So people really having expecting the future to be as promising as the past. And I don't see it. And much like one day when you saw Facebook just get whacked for like $140 billion or whatever that crazy market cap drop it had that one day of earnings, we're going to have that day with NVIDIA. And they're just not going to show the growth in data center you want. And uh, I'll come back on the show then.
1: <laughs> I mean, it sounds like this, this could be a while for this thesis to play out because it sounds like this is not just a trading call right now, Andrew, that this is actually a fundamental call because you see competition well, I, I thought, yeah, in a lot I, of its was, key sectors. Even I though it was it's, it's on quarter. the heels of its first major architect, architecture launch in about two years, which is why a lot of analysts have said, you know what, you don't want to sell NVIDIA here on the back of Crypto Weakness, which they've been trying to talk down for several quarters now. Not ahead of this they architecture haven't. launch.
10: Actually, around, around a few quarters ago, Jensen said crypto's here to stay. And he was very excited about it. And as for the new architecture launch, you're going to get people spending the money as the early adapters. But again, it's all about right now the ray tracing technology in gaming. And I think there's only maybe like 20 games that support it. There's not even the architecture behind it in the gaming community. They're still getting HDR and 4K correct in gaming. So saying, hey, you should buy it here because we have the ability to eliminate shadows in some games is a very difficult call if you look where it's trading.
0: Hey, Andrew. Uh, so it's Dan. Uh, so have you in your career ever seen a $160 billion market cap stock where the um, expectations for a deceleration and growth are as meaningful as you do here in 2019 to basically low teens, trading at 10, 11, 12 times sales, most estimates. I mean, I've never seen something like that. Does valuation play a large part in what you're talking about here?
10: It's, it's, it's not just valuation. More important than valuation, it's they're a victim of their own success. It's a good thing. You're not going to create what they've created in artificial intelligence and data center and not find that your big customers is looking for workarounds. And we're going to see that with the hyperscalers. There was a huge CapEx spend they had earlier this year, which NVIDIA was the beneficiary of. So it's a valuation call, but it's not valuation that just sits in a vacuum. It's valuation knowing that with their big customers, these hyperscalers, they're looking for alternatives to the GPUs. And that's on the data center business. I won't even talk about automotive, crypto, and you know gaming I discussed already.
1: Andrew, I'm curious. You said that a lot of those things were trading calls. You didn't always lose... Overall, in all of these efforts to short NVIDIA, have you made money? Have you lost
10: money? Uh, believe it or not, I'm probably about even, maybe. I've had some calls and then we got near and I've covered some and then I've lost uh yes obviously so. I would put it around even uh, i I like to be short before earnings right now i 'll short the stock every earnings period before earnings and obviously what 's the going to be a catalyst between now and next earnings there 's nothing but the market in general, so I might as well just short the stock market or the NASDAQ. but I believe this is a catalyst unless you find some news and you see uh you know how their GPUs are selling or you can look through some of the so, uh, reports that are out there, but you, no. have you covered, so it's a shorted. Did earnings. you
1: did you short into this past earnings report? And are have uh, you covered already? Because we've got three months basically until the next report at this point.
10: Yeah, I, I cover. I, well, I covered a lot of my position just because it was a trading position, and I still have some short on. Yes, I do.
1: Okay, Andrew, we're going to leave it there. Thank you, Andrew Left of Citron Research, Reactions Desk.
3: Well, it's, it's, it's very easy to argue that it, it's an expensive stock. Um, I, I, I certainly have thought that for a long time. I will say that I think this ray tracing and their touring is a, is a bit of a game changer, and I think that uh, the whole gaming industry is on fire, and these guys are really at the forefront. I think there's competing architectures out there, uh, and I think margins in gaming have come down. That would be a concern. Um, but it's, it's hard for me to see anything structurally wrong here, um, and, uh, you know, I think it may be a dangerous short.
1: Karen?
4: Yeah, I mean, all of that may be true. Everything you said, I'm just afraid of the short side, right? You know, things can trade it. They traded ridiculously high multiple now. They could trade a ridiculous plus 20% multiple. What's the story? You got to have a strategy in place if you're going to short, right?
1: right. You got to know how much you're willing to lose. Okay. Well, don't go anywhere. Uh, much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Pass. A big weekend for esports coming up as the first NBA 2K League finals take place in New York. And the options market was applying some interesting moves for one of the video game stocks. Stan, what'd you see?
0: Yeah, in EA and uh, Electronic Arts. And, you know, there was a lot of upside call volume for months. I know people has been talking about it. But today, you know, when call volume was hot, five times average daily volume, it looked like a lot of traders were selling out of upside calls, even out as far as November. The largest trade that caught my eye was a seller of 3,000 of the November 150 calls at $1.44. Those look like closing. That was versus the open interest there. And I have a one-year chart here, which is kind of interesting when you think about it. This stock has come in about 15% from those all-time highs made in July. It's sitting right on that uptrend. To me, it's a level it probably should hold there. But this is one I like here. So I suspect these traders are selling out of longer-dated ones looking to buy closer-dated ones to the money.
1: I know you saw this action, Pete. What would you make of it?
2: I did. And the, where we've seen a lot of action actually is all the way out in January, the 135 strike has been huge. I mean, the open interest out there, I think, is over 70,000 options now. So I actually own this stock, and I'm selling calls against the position there. I like what they're doing, and this is a this is. A, I'm not a gamer, yeah. but I want to be involved in this whole world of what I'm seeing from the stock perspective.
1: All right. For more Options Action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. You watch Dan and Pete Ooh. go head-to-head and hand-to-hand on the Trader Showdown of the Century, and we asked you on Twitter, who won the battle? Well, the results are in and Pete is the very first winner of Trader versus Trader. Wow. It was actually a landslide. Stuff. 63% for Pete, 37% for <laughs> Dan.
0: Out all right, my Love you, man.
1: <laughs> time for the final trade. Pete Najarian, what do you say? I'm going to go with
2: Oracle. We talk about tech companies all the time. This is a name that sellers gets put off. We talk about Cisco and Microsoft and everything else. Oracle, I think it's going higher. Gideos.
4: Chairwoman. Yes, we got some Foot Locker upside call spreads going into earnings on Friday. Nice.
1: Damn, uh, Yeah, EA
0: looks like a good bounce level off that uh, uptrend.
3: i tell you what, Mel trader versus trader. I mean, Ooh, this is a great hot, first round. I mean, I, tremendous stuff. Take two in the gaming space. Oh. Get there.
1: That does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more fast. Mad Money starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you